dear friends in Christ, having heard the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, such a dramatic, such a dramatic story and a, a very deep story, we are guided in our consideration of the passion through the two readings that we have from the book of the prophet Isaiah and the letter to the Hebrews. And in that first letter, or first passage, I should say, that first reading from Isaiah, we have a tremendous paradox. An ordinary, an ordinary man who no one takes notice of, not particularly attractive, not particularly worthy of notice, is the servant of God who takes on the sins of the people and makes those sins his own, those sins his own, suffers for them, dies for them, and because of this offering of himself, his people, God's people, are healed. Tremendous paradox. The sacred author says if he gives his life as an offering for sin, he shall see his descendants in a long life. And the will of the Lord shall be accomplished through him. Through him. Dear friends, Jesus came to establish, as he says at the very beginning, the kingdom of God. Remember, he came on the scene, his very first words recorded in the gospel, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the good news, believe in the gospel. St. John wrote his gospel quite a number of years after the three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were already well known to the Christian community. Masses had been celebrated year after year, commemoration of the Lord's Passion in Mass through years. So about 25, at least perhaps 30 years later, St. John writes his gospel. And it's really a theological masterpiece because it centers on Christ's kingship. So taken together, this suffering servant of Isaiah fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, we see what the kingdom of heaven is really all about. And the kingdom, Christ's kingship, is at the very center of the passion story. The very center of the passion story. It's Pilate himself who raises the issue in the dialogue in John's Gospel, having heard what the, what the issue is. It's not made explicit. All the Jews do, they, the, the chief priests and the rulers, come to Pilate and said, this guy is a criminal. If he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't hand him over to you. What has he done? Well, Pilate learns he's made himself a king. He's made himself a king. And so Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, just like he said previously to others, my kingdom does not belong to this world. My kingdom is not here. The apostles, the disciples, others, all looking for a worldly kingdom. That's not what it's about. Father mentioned in his homily last night the circumstances of James and John coming to Jesus and says, look, in your kingdom we want first place. <laughs> and Jesus looked at them probably with pity. You don't know what you're asking. So Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom does not belong to this world. My kingdom is not here. My kingdom is not about worldly power. It's not about ambition. It's not about ruling in, a, in an earthly way. 
Christ's kingdom is based not on power, he says, but on the truth. Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. So at the center of the kingdom of God is the truth about everything that Jesus proclaimed. Everything in the gospel is true. And so we have to listen to his voice. Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus. In fact, the scourging and the crowning of the thorns makes Jesus so ridiculously looking, so pitiful, that Pilate figures, sure, this will turn the people away from trying to kill him and let him off. So he says, behold the man. Behold how ridiculous this man is. He can't possibly be a king. And they only cry out for him to be crucified. In that very moment, when Jesus comes out and appears before the crowd, having been scourged and crowned with thorns, he fulfills the oracle of the suffering servant. Everything that Isaiah predicted was manifested in the Lord at that very moment. He's a reproach, a laughingstock. This is what the psalmist sings, the suffering psalmist. He calls himself a reproach, a laughingstock, dreaded even by friends, a person largely forgotten. And yet the psalmist puts his trust in God and gives a message to himself and to others, take courage and be stout-hearted. And that's what Jesus was at that very moment, courageous and stout-hearted, surrendering himself completely with absolute trust in the love of his Father. When Jesus appeared before the crowd and they still called for his crucifixion, Pilate says, take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Four times, Pilate tried to get out of the predicament in which he found it himself. And then after that third time, they say, he made himself the son of God and he goes before Jesus and says, where are you from? And Pilate, uh, Jesus tells him, you would have no authority over me if it were not given you from above. That's why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. It was the one that ultimately handed Jesus over. It was Satan. Judas was an instrument of Satan. Remember at the Last Supper, John's account, he takes the morsel. And John says, and immediately Satan entered into him, and it was night. Satan was the protagonist in this whole event, even though Jesus himself was in charge. So Pilate sends him off to be crucified. Pilate sends him off to be crucified. But before he does that, and this is the great irony, I said John's gospel is filled with irony, to show the crowd how much he didn't want to do this, he takes Jesus out into the judgment pavement and seats him in the judge's seat. The king is in his true spot, a place of exercising judgment. And then he sends him off to be crucified. And then he sends, of course, what we see in every crucifix, if we're not covered, 
the great, uh, great tabula at the top, the great, the great sign, the king of the Jews. For John, the throne is the cross. The greatest exaltation of Jesus Christ is him crucified. St. Paul would say the same. Because in undergoing his death, Jesus gives himself over completely in obedience and atonement for our sins. And what does he do when he's in the, on the cross? The royal king does something truly amazing. He prepares the church at that very moment. He says to John, well, first to his mother, he says, Woman, behold your son. And then to John, behold your mother. What a regal gift. The blessed mother given over to John. And together the two of them embody the church. What a regal gift. Jesus dying, crucified, hands on his mother to the church to us and then John says when he dies he hands over the spirit the very gift he told the apostles he had come to give at the last supper I have to give you my spirit and in his death breathing his last he hands over the spirit as he dies and then even in death our king gives us something really amazing because the soldier with the lance thrusts Jesus through the side and comes out blood and water. Blood and water. And from that blood and water, we see the symbols, certainly in water, baptism and the blood is the Eucharist, which enliven the church. Our king prepared for everything. Everything. To fulfill what was said in that, from Hebrews, that we have truly a great high priest who sympathized with our weakness because he lived in a human condition fully. And so we're exhorted in that wonderful passage from Hebrews, hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to the love of God made manifest in Christ. Hold fast to the fact that our King died and rose from the dead. Never forget this, my friends. Christ's death was the offering to the Father, and the resurrection was the Father's acceptance of the offering. And so the sacred author says, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help. See, to a worldly king, we could never get close. How many of us have ever tried to get close to a worldly king? It's impossible. So many barriers in the way. But with our king, Jesus Christ, we can come to him, have immediate access to him all the time. All the time. With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and help. Dear brothers and sisters, the passion for us is not for humiliation. It's not so much for sadness. It is for encouragement. For encouragement. We glory, as St. Paul says, we glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He couldn't love us anymore. 
He couldn't love us in any way that was greater than what he already did. What he's already done. And so, for us, dear brothers and, si- brothers and sisters, we must imitate our king. He showed us completely the way that we are to live in following him. Jesus' obedience was a constant feature of his days on earth. It needs to be our feature, too, that we obey our Lord in everything. Obedience, Jesus said, is the full content, the full measure of love. Jesus, the sacred author says, was constantly praying. And so we must constantly pray. Our life must be a a prayer. As Christ prayed night and day for the salvation of mankind, we need to be fervent in our prayers, trusting in him. And Christ is both priest and victim. We have to make ourselves victims of love. We have to exercise our priesthood by giving our lives away. You know, I've said this, you know, when a priest is ordained, when a deacon is ordained, when a religious is ordained, they all come before the altar and they prostrate themselves. It should be the same for husband and wife, but the church has not put that in the marriage rite. The husband and wife should go before the altar and they should prostrate themselves. Now the priest and the ordained, they prostrate themselves to give their lives completely over to Christ. But what is marriage? But the spouses each making a self-gift to each other by laying down their lives for each other. And in that way, together with the way in which we pray and we gather together to offer worship to God, that's a key aspect of priesthood. That's a key aspect of priesthood. The ordained, certainly, but also the priesthood of the baptized. To take that gift that God has given us, to be members of his kingdom, with himself as our king, and to give our lives away in love, with humility and service. Dear brothers and sisters, it's really a wonder and profound that Christ became king fully on the cross. That's why the cross, the crucifix, is the symbol of our faith. Because no greater love has ever been given. No greater love can ever be found.